listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. I want to start out with a question, though, as we get into God's Word, and I want to ask you this question. What are you hoping for in life? Today, when you came walking in here, this morning when you woke up, when you got up out of bed, what was that kind of hope that you had in, for the day or perhaps for the days ahead or maybe for the remainder of your life? What are you hoping for? Maybe you have this hope to get married. Maybe it's a hope to buy a house or to buy a certain car or, or hope for more money. That's probably a pretty key one for many. Or hope to get some rest. You're tired. You're weary. You're just hoping for some rest. Maybe it's hope for a good retirement, that your retirement plans will, will, will pan out in the way that you would want. Maybe it's hope for good or for better health, or maybe, maybe hope for some good news from the doctor because things haven't been going so well lately, lately. Maybe it's hope for a job or for a different job, or hope that your boss would be nicer or whatever it might be. Maybe it's your, you have a hope to survive toddlers or new, a newborn or teenagers or senior parents or whatever it might be. We hope for all kinds of different things. If we were to write them all down here, we could spend the, the rest of the morning into the afternoon coming up for all the different things we hope for. But this morning, I want to talk to you about real hope. I want to talk to you about hope. I want to talk about living hope, a confident hope that we can have going into the future starting today. Today could be a day of change. I trust it is a day where every one of us were drawn closer to the Lord, but today would be a landmark decision day for many here today that we are giving up on our hopes and our own dreams and we're going to follow the God of hope today. And he offers a plan that is beyond imagination, a life and eternity that is incredible. Not easy here, our time on earth, but rewarding time in eternity. And we're going to dig into God's word in a few moments here. And the reason we're going to talk about hope today on Easter Sunday in 2019 is because Easter is a story of hope. We're not simply talking about hope this morning because it is going to be or is the new name of our church as we're transitioning from Harvest Bible Chapel to Hope Bible Church. This isn't some shameless plug for that. Uh, You can read about that. I'm not going to talk about it anymore today. You can read about that on our website. You can read about it in our e-news. But we are here today and we're talking about hope because Easter is a story of hope and we need hope. Please listen to God's word. It's going to be up on the screen here for the first little bit in First Peter, and then uh, we want you to follow along. So either look at the screen or in the word of God. First Peter chapter three, verse five, or uh, starting First uh, Peter chapter three, or one. Can I get that right? Chapter one, verse three. It says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His mercy, He has caused us to be born." again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now I think all of us could admit we need hope. Our world needs hope. I mean just look at this world that we're living in. What took place only a hundred kilometers north of here last Sunday morning in a church? Or last Monday, 70 kilometers south of here, in a nice quiet neighborhood. Violence, unbelievable violence coming into a calm existence. Or watch the news, listen to it, or read it, however you get your news these days, about the drug crisis that we're facing. Stories of abuse, political scandals, disease, so much 
turmoil in our world, in homes and families, in the lives of people, including the lives of the rich and famous. So much hopelessness in our world. People living from hopelessness to hopelessness to hopelessness. That's all they've ever known. And hopelessness will lead to depression, discouragement, anger, frustration, despair, addiction, even suicide. But dear ones, Easter is the story of hope. And this is a good day to come to church, to hear the story and the message of where we can find true hope. And we can learn a little bit about hope from some rats. Yep, believe it or not, from some rats. Going to talk about rats for a few moments. In 1957, a scientist did a study, and he started a, a series of studies that took place back then in the 50s, and he would put rats in a cylinder of water with no chance of escaping. And those rats would kind of tread water, kind of swim for a certain amount of time before they expired, and the average time that it took for them to expire was 16 minutes. Then he took another set of rats and did the same thing. And just as they were starting to bob their head underwater, about ready to expire, he pulled them up out of water, he dried them off, he fed them, and then after a little bit, put them back in the cylinder. You want to know how long they were able to swim for then? Not 16 minutes, not 16 hours, but for three days those rats were able to continue to keep swimming. And from the series of studies that he did, the only conclusion he could come up with was that there was that infusion of hope for those rats. And that infusion of hope for them led them to keep on going. Folks, I'm talking about an infusion of hope today, not to just keep you going through the afternoon and get you to Easter Monday, but for the rest of your life and for eternity. The infusion of hope that we can know in Jesus Christ. And what we're talking about isn't just a temporary infusion. It will last forever and forever and forever to infinity and beyond. The word hope that we use though today is rather different than how the word hope is used in the Bible. In fact, in, in the word of God, the word hope is used 160 times. That's why we like hope. That's why we think hope is a great name and hope is a great thing to cling to. And, and the word hope, though, is used differently. Like I previously mentioned, we use the word hope for stuff like this. I hope for a change of government or I hope that it doesn't rain today and, and mess up my plans for the afternoon or I hope our teenagers drive safely. One of the things is our teenage kids have been learning to drive and as they drive home alone, especially heading back to our place in the evenings, one of the things we say is, oh, I hope they don't hit a deer. There's so many deer in you know, our neighborhood and so we hope they don't hit a deer. We hope that the Leafs don't win the Stanley Cup. That's for sure. Any agreement there or is any booing? Yeah, like we don't want that to happen. I mean, we, we, we hope for those kind of things. I, I laughed this week as I was texting the word hope to someone and this emoji showed up uh, to mean hope. And, and this is what we generally cross my fingers. You know, I hope it will happen. This kind of hope expresses a certain degree of uncertainty. And that's the way we commonly use the word hope. But the Bible doesn't use it that way. The Bible uses it totally differently. In fact, it uses it talking about hope in almost an opposite way of uncertainty. The Bible talks about it as communicating assurance and confidence that these future events, not, not a hope and cross my fingers, but a hope, a confidence that they will happen. 
That it's a sure thing. And so biblical hope is not just a dream or a desire or a prospect or an aspiration for something good to happen in the future, but rather a confident expectation that we can have. And now listen again to this verse from 1 Peter. And this time I'd love for you to follow along in the word of God because we're going to follow. Um, so, so look at it in, in, in your Bibles because we're going to look at this verse and then the few following it. And then we're going to dig into these verses here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his mercy, he, caused, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation already to be revealed in the last time. And so here's the big idea that we're going to take from these three verses here this morning. Here's the big idea from God's word that I trust will be infused into your minds and you will consider it and you will allow God's word to do a work in, in your life and we would allow God to do a work in all of our lives. And, and here it is, the resurrection Easter Sunday means that true and living hope is available. The big idea that true and living hope is available for you today. It's not only just available, it is attainable. Now, last week, the sports world was in awe of the comeback of Tiger Woods. It was during our service last Sunday that notifications probably even went off on some phones here telling us that Tiger won the Masters. I mean, people are calling what happened one of the greatest comebacks of all time. Like him or dislike him, what he pulled out in winning the Masters at his age and what he's gone through over the last number of years, much of it self-inflicted, all of it self-inflicted, he ends up winning the Masters for the fifth time. This is his first major win in 11 years. I mean, what he has done, I mean, people are calling him the GOAT, the greatest of all time. I heard someone say, oh, the golf gods have given Tiger the greatest of mulligans that anyone could ever hope for. Now, a living hope doesn't mean that we just have a do-over, a mulligan, that might be good for your golf game, and if you're like me, you rely on mulligans or a do-over very, very often, or a do-over in life, in relationships, or in your career. Living hope is so much more than that. It means we're talking about a fresh start, having our past forgiven, that so many of our songs, songs we're singing about as we were worshiping our Lord today, that our sins are forgiven, and it means going from death to life. It means heaven rather than hell. This is a big deal. This is what living hope is all about. And so again, in verse 3, we're really, you're going to have it memorized by the time we're done here this morning. Verse 3, according to his great mercy, it says, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Now, some of you might be wondering, what does that mean to be born again? You know, you hear this born again Christian, or you're a born again Christian, or you know, those born agains, you know, sometimes people can refer to us about, and you think, what does that actually mean? Well, the language that Peter is using here when he's talking about being born again here in 1 Peter, um, here in, in chapter 1, Peter is using this phrase from a famous conversation that Jesus had with a religious leader when Jesus was alive here on the earth by the name of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus came to Jesus, uh, someone who kept the law, who who was very religious, very serious about following God. 
And he came to him, he says, what does it take? What, how can I be a part of your kingdom? How can I get into the kingdom of God? And Jesus told him, he says, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Now, Nicodemus was a smart man, but yet this even still had him stumped, no doubt. I mean, he was thinking of this as Jesus is telling him solely in the natural sense. And I'm sure there was this look of kind of, he told me what? Like, how, born again? Like, how does a growing, growing man go back into his mother? That's just weird. How can this happen? But Jesus is talking about a spiritual birth. Do you want to know something that a physical birth requires, a, or a physical life requires a physical birth? Do you know that? Every one of you have been born. Although for a little while while I was growing up, I was sure that our prime minister of our country had not been born naturally. You see, when I was young, I remember my parents uh, watching the news one night, and this prime minister by the name of Trudeau was our prime minister, not the current one, the former one. And I remember my dad pointing his finger at the TV, and he said, he is a hypocrite. And for whatever reason, in my young age, I thought the word hypocrite means that he was never naturally born of a woman. I just, that's what I, for, I don't know how I thought that. And for the longest time, I thought that's what the word hypocrite meant. And so that he would have been the only exception that, that physical life requires physical birth. And then I got a little older and actually understood that, yeah, a physical life requires a physical birth. Well, in the same way, a spiritual life if you are going to have true spiritual life, it's going to require a spiritual birth. That is what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. He's talking a spiritual birth here. This means a living hope is more than just a do-over. It means being birthed spiritually from God. It is a vertical birth. A birth that comes from heaven, from God to us. It even says here, God causes this to happen. We are reborn, we are new creations. In fact, in Ephesians, you might want to look, uh, write down this passage. I'm going to read a little bit from it in Ephesians 2. But you can read it this next week. Encourage you to do that. Be writing down what we're, what's on the screen and looking up these scriptures and reading and studying and enjoying God's word this week. And may this just be a little uh, uh, fuel for you to, uh, areas for you to study. But in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. We were born spiritually dead, every one of us. We were born that way. And we're born spiritually dead because of the this, this sinful nature that we have been born with. Never, never, never on any movie, TV show, or any sort of medical journal or anything like that, have I ever heard of a dead person putting a defibrillator, if I said that right, you know, those paddles, I've never seen a dead person put the paddles on themselves. They can't do it. They're unable to do that kind of thing. God, in the same way spiritually, we can't make our spiritual lives happen. God does that. God is the one who spiritually births us. And God causes this to happen. It is a work of his. Listen to more verses in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. It says, but God being rich in mercy. Yes, we are dead, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 
by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This living hope is a salvation that is available, is a work of God. It's made available because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And so Jesus continued in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, this religious leader, wondering, how are we born again? Jesus tells him. And he gives him the answer. He tells him how one can be born again. John 3.16. Some of you didn't even know that story existed, but you know John 3.16, one of the greatest and the most powerful scripture verses in the word of God. And what does it say? It's on the screen for you. Many of you will know this. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Isn't that a great verse? And you know what the key word is in there that we're going to just look at for a little bit today is the word believes. The word believes is so important. It's not just a head knowledge. It's just not this historical Jesus and understanding what he did. Yeah, okay, I believe. Okay, yeah, yeah, it sounds all good. Believe means to trust in, to cling to, to rely on. When we are born again, that means that we have come to the understanding of God's assessment of us, and that is what? That we are all sinners. God looks upon each one and sees that we have sinned, we have fallen short of God's standard of perfection. That is God's standard because of his holiness, because of his purity, it's perfection, and none of us, no matter how awesome you think you are, you're not perfect. None of us are. And we have accepted God's assessment of us that we have sinned and we have fallen short of God's standard. But it also means that we understand that Jesus came to this earth and lived the life that we were supposed to live. He lived that perfect life. And then he died the death that our sin condemned us to. He took our sin upon himself took it so we wouldn't have to bear the punishment for our sin. That's what we were celebrating on Good Friday in kind of like a funeral or memorial service theme. But then today is the party theme. Today is the party celebration of Jesus Christ rising from the dead. He conquered sin. And when he conquered sin because he had died, he also conquered death. His sacrifice on the cross conquered sin. His victory over death conquered death once and for all. And that forgiveness and resurrection life is made available to all who put their faith. Whoever believes in him in this way will not perish, but will have eternal life. And by believing and trusting Jesus to be that full and satisfying payment for our sins when we confess our sins, when we repent and we turn from our sin, from our agenda, and say, God, I want to follow your plan. I want to follow your agenda. Help me to follow your word the best that I can. Help me to grow and become more like you. By faith, when we do this, we receive Jesus in this way. He comes in. His power through the Holy Spirit comes in. We're adopted into his family, and we have his presence living in us. It's not a work harder. It's not a try harder. It is his life in us, empowering us, strengthening us, convicting us in areas of sin or areas that we ought not to go. You hear at times people say, oh, I, you know, that's still small voice. 
Well, for the believer, when we have that voice, we may call it our conscience, but if you are a believer in Christ, when you are being convicted of a certain area, say, hey, that isn't right. That's the Holy Spirit. Working in and through us in that way, empowering us, strengthening us. By faith, we put our trust in him. We want to follow him. We want to obey his words. We want to follow his plan and purpose for our lives. It's no longer about our agenda, but his agenda. Living our lives on mission for him. We spend so much of our time living for our own mission, don't we? How about even in different areas, we live to try to prolong our lives or to help prolong the lives of others? What about the spiritual souls of people that will go on forever? Yes, if we can help people and and through healthy living and exercise and different things like that, we can prolong our lives. But what about our eternity, our souls that will go on forever? Are we preparing people for that? Are we prepared for that? When we do this, when we believe In Jesus, in this way, we are born again. The Holy Spirit comes in. And this call for salvation is for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. God doesn't first look at your resume or your rap sheet or your past. Or he doesn't look into, you know, well, this person wasn't so bad, but boy, their parents sure were awful. Or, oh, maybe I'll save these people because their parents were actually pretty good. Yeah, they didn't turn out so well, but okay, yeah, I'll let them. No, it doesn't matter our past. It doesn't matter what we have done. His grace, his mercy extends to the deepest of sinner or to even the most hardworking, good-living, church-going person who still needs the grace of God in their lives. Look at this verse in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. It's dead. And behold, the new has come. Living hope has come. Have you received Jesus in this way? Have you received the gift of living hope? Have you received this fresh start? Have you been made spiritually alive? Are you still dead today? Anyone can do this. Anyone can receive him. Whether you are a child or whether... You've been living for decades. The Bible says all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And see, this living hope that, that we celebrate here also means a second thing. It means that I don't have to fear death. Not only can I have a fresh start, not only can I be made alive spiritually, I don't have to fear death. The resurrection from Jesus, of Jesus from the dead reveals his absolute power and authority over death. Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him. And here, this is so important. This is what sets biblical Christianity apart from every other religion or philosophy in this world. And it is in these words that when I saw him this morning, I just, I was just in awe. Again, just reminded, this is what sets us apart. He is risen. He was dead. And he's alive today. And because of that, we can be made alive forever and be with him forever. We don't have to fear death. Never trust a philosophy or religion that has not conquered our greatest enemy. And our greatest enemy is death. Death has been defeated. Not only has he conquered that death, but he shares that victory with us. And he's eager to do it. 
He wants to grant you victory over death. He wants to grant you eternal life. What are the two most certain things in life? Skill testing question. Death and taxes, you're right, you nailed it. <laughs> I have such a unique wife. She's quite amazing. Um, I mean, she has worked, just even in the last few years, but many years, she worked in both areas. She's worked in the area of taxes and the area of death. She, first of all, well, the, the working as an auditor for the federal government was like working for, like, in death in different ways, being a tax collector. Oftentimes I joke in my house that I feel very much like Jesus um, because uh, when I'm walking around in my house because it says that Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners and so uh, I have a wife tax collector and kids who are little sinners and you know, so I just feel very, no, that's, I'm right in there with them. And so she, she was a tax collector for, for many years with the federal government and now recently she started working at a funeral home. And it's an odd, she's loving it, it's a great job, but death and taxes, it's just, I mean, how, you just can't write that script, right? And oh, how I've enjoyed the jokes about this, how finally people are just dying to see her, you know? Or, or uh, that, that they're dealing with a lot of stiff competition these days, or I was thinking on her business card, she should have it where it says, come see Charlotte, she's got you covered. You know, <laughs> I mean, yeah, anyways. Now, we might joke about death, but death is a serious matter, and ultimately death is not something to joke about ultimately, because none of us can avoid it. The death rate, it's still hovering right around 100%. Some people doubt it because of Elvis, and they think he still might be alive, but I, I think he is dead as well. Because of the resurrection from Jesus from the dead, he has defeated the greatest enemy, the enemy of death. And for those who trust him and commit their lives to him, we don't have to fear death. It's not this, oh, I hope, I cross my fingers, I hope that when I die I'll go to heaven. But you can have a confident assurance that heaven will be a reality when you take your last breath. Jesus gives this promise of eternal life. He is the only one who has defeated death, and so he is the only one who sets the ground rules on how we are to receive this eternal life and to escape death ourselves. It's important to realize that eternal life doesn't begin when we die. It's already something we can possess right now. We can, we can possess this eternal life. In John chapter 11, Jesus said this. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So we actually do not die. Death for us, though, we sometimes, we tend to think it means someone ceases to exist. But simply that's not true. Instead, we just move on. The physical body, and there's a lot of them here today, and, and, and sometimes God's word calls them, uh, refers to our, our bodies as an earthly tent, and some are a pup tent, and some are a carnival tent, and we have all kinds of, but a tent is something that's temporary. Our bodies are temporary, and our bodies represent the real me, but when we die and our bodies are done, the real me goes on into eternity. We don't actually die. We continue on, we move on. The real me moves on. And either to a place of eternal glory and awesomeness that God is preparing for his children, 
that he says here in, in, in 1 Peter 1 that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept forever in heaven for you, or as the Bible says, to a place of eternal torment and anguish forever. That's what eternal means. That's what God's word says. But because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can have confident assurance of our own resurrection when we die. In fact, if I was to suddenly right now, heaven forbid, and yet it would be a serious upgrade, if I was to drop dead of a heart attack right now before my head would hit the floor, I would be in the presence of God. Not by anything I have done, but because I've been vertically birthed, because of what God has done. Death is just a blip on the radar, just an incident in the course of an endless life, an endless soul. And today, because of the resurrection, death has been defeated. And again, this just isn't a, I hope I go to heaven when I die, but this is that confidence with certainty that you can have an inheritance kept in heaven for you. Do you have this hope today? Do you have this confident assurance? This isn't simply about just praying a prayer and then I'm good and kind of go and live the life that I want. That's not, some people are take it that way, but that's not what it means to, to have, to inherit eternal life and to be a child of God. It's living for God's plan and for his purpose. It's committing our lives to him for the forgiveness of our sins, but then it's also about living a life to bring glory to him where the indwelling Holy Spirit is in us, changing us, transforming us more and more to reflect that of Jesus Christ. Here's the third thing about Easter hope, and with this we bring our message to an end. Easter hope, true and living hope is available that God will guard and guide my life. What an assurance, what a promise. God will guard and guide my life. Look at in verse 5 of 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Because of the resurrection, because of this living hope, we can know with absolute assurance that God will guide and guard your life. He will guard and guide every one of his children's lives. Sometimes you hear people pray. Sometimes it's kind of an old-timer kind of prayer that you will hear. Oh, God, put a hedge of protection around them as they travel. As the missionaries go into the foreign land, put a hedge of protection around them. As we come into a theater on Sunday morning, put a hedge of protection. I mean, however, we may pray that. And, and, and we ask God to protect us. But here, Peter is saying that this word guarded means God's protection. God is guarding his children. There's nothing wrong in asking him to continue to do that because we want him to do that. But this word guarded is the same word that is used for the way an army will guard the king or the way that the army will guard a city. It's on patrol 24-7. And God will guard and guide and protect our lives. And now I want to tell you, I'd love to be able to tell you, give your life to Jesus. I mean, this would preach really awesome. Give your life to Jesus, start coming to church, drop some money in the offering, and, and you will be healthy, and you will be wealthy, and life will just be a breeze. I would love, I mean, that preaches awesome. That fills up sports arenas if we could preach a gospel like that. 
come to Jesus and your marriage will just be awesome. And you will get the desires of your heart and your health. <laughs> Who needs health insurance? I mean, my teeth won't rot. I mean, just whatever it might be. I mean, we could just go on. Come to Jesus and you won't suffer from discouragement and depression another day. I mean, that preaches so well, doesn't it? It can attract a crowd. The only problem is that it's not biblical. That's therapeutic Christianity, something we're looking at through our small group series currently. It's not found in the word of God. Oh, people take little catchphrases here and take them out of context to try to promote their message or to fill their offering buckets. The Bible isn't against wealth. I want to, be, want to assure you on that. But you know what? Those who have it, which living here in North America, I don't care how much money you make, we're wealthy. We're very wealthy compared to the 95% of people in this world. We are so wealthy. The Bible isn't against wealth, but we must steward it wisely. And wealth can easily gain a grip of your heart and squeeze spiritual life right out of you. It happens so oftentimes. And there will be days, and some of you may be in those days right now where life is difficult, it's lonely, it's discouraging, and you're desiring and you're trying to follow Christ and it's hard. Your marriages will struggle. There will be seasons of discouragement, disillusionment, depression, sickness, loss of a loved one, and for each one of us, eventually death. And whether it is a short or a long season of suffering, Jesus even promised to his followers, he said, in this world, you will have troubles, you will have trials, you will have tribulations, but then he says, but take heart, I've overcome them all. One day there will be sweet victory. And Peter was writing this. He was a disciple of Jesus. He, I love Peter. I mean, love his story, just how he would often talk so much and act so quick and wouldn't think oftentimes, and yet he was so energetic and charismatic. And here it is 30 years later when he's writing this letter that we call 1 Peter, 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he was writing to a group of believers in Asia Minor, Minor who were weary, who were becoming beleaguered and worn down because they were being taken advantage, because they were desiring to follow and to honor God. They had overbearing bosses. They were being threatened or ridiculed by family members, by friends, by neighbors. And looming on the horizon as they could see coming was going to be the storm clouds of violent persecution, which, as history tells us, did happen. And some very gruesome things took place. In fact, Peter, later on, when he would die, he wouldn't die a nice little normal, natural death. He would be crucified upside down. History reveals that to us. And yet Peter was telling them, because of the confident hope that we have in Christ, he will guard and he will guide our lives. Continue. I'm going to read verses 6 and 7 there in 1 Peter chapter 1. Because it says, in this you rejoice. And he's rejoicing. He's talking about trials. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through it, is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor of the revelation at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Trials and difficulties will come our way, but God will guard and he will guide our lives. When we suffer, when we are treated unfairly, and we say, this is hard. This is unfair. I don't know what's going on. Have you been there? Have you been there in life? Are you there right now? When a loved one is sick, when a loved one dies, 
When we lose the job, when the business goes wrong, when the prodigal is messing up their lives, and you're saying, this isn't what I signed up for. And we may wonder, where is God? Is God even really in control? When our faith is weak, when we think we are at the end of ourselves, by faith, again, we look to our God. We look vertically to the God who has given us new birth and new life, and we say, God, I cannot do this. And that should be a daily prayer in our life. I can't do this. I can't be the man. I can't be the husband, the father, the pastor, the man that you're calling me to be. I can't, but God, you can. Would you empower me? Would you strengthen me? Would you guard and guide my life? And that doesn't mean he's going to take us around the storms. He's going to take us through the storms, but he is going to guard and he's going to guide us. And in the midst of that, there's going to be peace. There's going to be power. As we stay confident in his truth, as we have brothers and sisters, that's why the body of Christ, that's the way we gather Sunday mornings throughout the week. That's why we go for coffees that to encourage, to, to remind one another, hey, yes, life is hard, but we have the word of God. We have the powerful, mighty word of God. And what does God's word have to say about what you're going through? Ah, there's the answer. And as we look to God and say, God, help, we are guarded and guided by him through his word and by his spirit. Trials will come, but they will also prove the genuineness of our commitment to God. He will carry us. He will carry us safely to the other side. And today, question for you, for each one of you. Have you received this living hope? Have you experienced that fresh start, that new birth, that spiritual birth from God? You can receive that today if you haven't. Today, do you fear death? Does death have a hold and a grip and you are fearful about what is on the other side. We don't have to be afraid of death. Oh yes, at times the concept and the idea of dying is not an easy thing to deal with and we can be filled with fear in that way. And yet God is there with us to empower and strengthen us in that. We don't have to fear death. Has death been arrested in your life? And are you living with the promise and the understanding that God will guard and guide your life no matter what happens. And maybe you're sitting here and thinking, there's no way this is for me. I'm just too much of a mess up. I, I've just messed up too many areas in my life. This isn't for me. But because of Jesus Christ and his love, your past doesn't have to define you. There is no one that God cannot save. No one is too messed up for his grace and his mercy but you have to want it, to want it with all your heart. Not just as, yeah, I'll give it a shot, give it a try. You have to be convinced of this truth and when you are convinced of this truth and you ask and you receive, you will be filled, you will become one of his children and his Holy Spirit will be with you. When we confess our sin to him, he will forgive us of any and all sin and he will do that continually in our lives because we will continue to fall short until the day we die. It's an already but not yet kingdom. We are saved positionally but experientially we are not done yet. We're going to go through this earth but through time on this earth but then when it is over we will be saved fully. Free from sin, free from sickness in heaven with our God. As he washed away your sins. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads right now. I'm going to ask the band to come up. As you bow your heads this morning, 
As we've been talking about this gift and this promise, a confident living hope, remember it is available and attainable to anyone who will receive it. Whether this is your first time in church or first time in a long time or or maybe you've been in church for many years but you have never made your faith your own. You've never fully and truly trusted Christ as your savior. You can do that today. It's what we've been talking about. In your seat right here and now, that can take place. And if I'm speaking to you, I'd encourage you to listen. By faith, this is a step of faith that you take. You confess your sin to God. Admit that you have sinned and you have fallen short of his standard. And in a prayerful attitude, also repent. Tell him you're sorry for your sins. And that you desire to turn away from your sin and give control of your life fully to God. And ask Jesus to come in and to be your Lord and your Savior. And just even through that simple prayer, you can receive that gift of salvation. If this expresses the desire in your heart today, I encourage you to, just in your heart, just talk to God in this way. He's listening. He's all ears. And if that is the desire in your heart today, people's heads are bowed, and this is a moment between you and God. There's also something important about even nailing this one home and saying, yeah, I'm serious about this. And if you are serious about giving your heart to Jesus in this way we've talked or you're in the process of even doing this right now, just raise your hand where you're sitting just for a moment. Just raise it and put it down. And just identifying to God, to me, so I can pray for you. I won't, you won't be embarrassed or identified. But if you desire to give your heart and receive that confident hope today, just raise your hand quickly and put it down as a sign of your surrender. Yeah, thank you for raising your hands. Anyone else? And today, if you are a believer and a follower of Christ, you're discouraged. You're distant. You're distant from God. Maybe you're in this season of just kind of pain or just just suffering, grief, and you need a fresh infusion of this living hope. You can receive that today again, just as these individuals have prayed to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior today. You can ask the God of hope to infuse you with his power and his life once again. Repent of areas of sin, confess those sins to God, and call out to him today. But I have a question for you. As you're going through what you're going through, who is at the center of your suffering? Is it you? Is it that person? Is it that situation you're in? Is that what you're all focused and ripped up about? Or is your focus on the one who promises? to guard and to guide our lives. The one who promises to infuse us with his hope. 
If that represents your heart today, I'm gonna to ask you to quickly raise your hand as well and say, I need that fresh infusion of hope. God, I need that. And this is a, the, the raised hand is that sign of surrender. God, I need that hope today. Yeah. And God, even now I pray for each one of us, you are the God of hope. Living hope, confidence. We can have a living confidence that we are your children that we don't have to fear death and we know that as we are your children committed to your will and to your ways that we will be guided and guarded. And as we are doing that, there will be a peace and a joy and a strength. And God, if we're not, if we're gonna go our own way and pursue our own life, there may be success, but there won't be joy. There'll always be something left empty in our hearts. You are that void for the person who's never trusted you. You are that void for that believer who has trusted you but is living their own agenda today. And would the God of hope fill and infuse hungry and searching hearts today.